What is up, my dudes? Welcome back to Olympia Oddities. I'm Trista, and I'm really excited about this case that we're talking about today. But first, pre-show notes. So I went to this really cool talk at McMiniman's Olympic Club down in Centralia or Chehalis. I always get those two talents confused. I don't really know where the boundary is. I think it's Centralia. But um, it was like a presentation about these little-known weird missing persons cases from around the Pacific Northwest. It was really cool, and some of the stories, if I can find more information about them, might turn into future podcast episodes, so stay tuned for some of those to maybe show up in the future. And I wanted to bring up a theory that goes all the way back to the very, very first episode of the podcast, The Oakville Blobs. So my friend Jenna was the first person to let me know about this, so all the credit goes to her. So... There's these little blobs that live together in chains in the ocean, called salps. A single one will reproduce asexually and make chains that are up to like 50 meters long. They're also chordates, or animals with dorsal nerve cords that are related to vertebrae, animals with backbones. They're more closely related to humans than they are jellyfish, and they've been found in increasing numbers along Washington shores. So if you Google pictures of people holding them, It looks remarkably similar to the way people who experience the blobs describe the blobs. It makes you wonder if people might have had the right idea with the flying jellyfish theory, except for maybe it was a tornado that happened to pick up salps instead. Or if some prankster found them on the beach and took them back to Oakville and kicked off the hoax using them. I don't know, it's just something to look into. I'm fully obsessed with salps. I keep talking about them with everyone. I really need to stop. But Google them, they're really, really weird. They look like little aliens. Um, They're just interesting little creatures, and it's definitely another possibility for what the blobs could have been. But now that we've got that update done, let's get into the main topic of this episode. Cowboy Mike. So I couldn't really find that much information about Michael John Bray's early life. He was born in 1960 and was originally from Bonnie Lake, Washington. He was once married to a woman named Brenda, and they had four kids. They divorced in 1993 because of domestic violence against Brenda from Mike. In a great source that I used for this, a Seattle Weekly piece called Cowboy Mike, the Lady Killer by Amy Curl, Detective Bev Reinhold, Reinhold? There we go. Was quoted as saying, After that, he went through a series of relationships that failed. He has a hatred for women. He feels that they've all done him wrong. He's very controlling. He used to tell his ex-wife what makeup and clothes to wear. When he got involved in relationships where he wasn't able to call the shots, he didn't do well. And he's a heavy drinker. Anytime you have a bad temper and alcohol, it's a bad combination. He also hates that the police and media decided to call him Cowboy Mike because he thinks that it employs, implies that he's not a real country boy and that he's just wearing his cowboy hat and jeans as a costume. In a letter to the media, he wrote, Hey, crazy people, which I love a serial killer starting off with addressing everyone else's crazy people, but anyways, Hey, crazy people, are you not aware that I own horses, live on, or rather in, a pasture with my horse and cows? I sing and play country music, not just in bars, but everywhere I go, all day and all night. I hate this guy a lot, so I'm going to be referring to him as Cowboy Mike for the rest of the episode. In 1997, he was the last person to be seen with Valina Larson in Clackamas County, Oregon. Valina Larson's bones were discovered the following year by some kids playing in a field. 
The kids took the bones to school, and their teacher reassured them that they were just bones from a deer. Later on, though, the kids ended up digging up her skull, confirming that they were, in fact, human remains. Clackamas shout- Shouty? <laughs> what did I just say? I just said Clackamas shouty, because I combined county and sergeant together. Oh, Jesus Christ. Okay. Whew. <laughs> Clackamas shouty. Okay. 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 Whew. Sorry. <laughs> okay. Clackamas County Sergeant Wendy Babst was eventually able to discover that Cowboy Mike and Valina had been spotted by a witness arguing at a storage locker at around the time Valina disappeared. Bray comes out of the locker and is seen leaving, Babst says. Valina is never seen leaving. Unfortunately, a judge ended up dismissing the case because of credibility issues with the witness. Babst began looking into another missing organ woman, Deborah Van Leuven, who was also last seen with Cowboy Mike in 1997, the same year as Valina's disappearance. Unfortunately, no sign of Deborah has ever been found and she remains missing. 1997 was also the same year that he escaped while on a work crew at the Thurston County Jail. He'd been in jail for drunk driving. In June of 2001, Susan Alt disappeared, with ar- disappeared after arguing with him at the trailer that they shared in Roseburg, Washington. They had originally met in March, and Susan was a waitress at a bar that he frequented. No trace of Susan has ever been found. On July 7th, 2001, Lori Jones would end up meeting Cowboy Mike at Bailey's Lounge in Olympia. You know, the Bailey's Motel that was torn down not too recently. It looked like something straight out of Psycho. Yeah, that place was creepy, and learning this definitely made it a little bit more creepy to me. Well, not a little bit more, a lot more. She was originally supposed to go out with a different guy that night, but they ended up having a last-second fight over email, which is such a 2001 sentence. Lori's 11-year-old daughter, Eliza, was on a fishing trip with a family friend, so now without any plans, Lori ended up at Bailey's Lounge. The bartender later on would say that they danced all night like they knew each other. When Elisa returned home on Sunday, she wasn't able to get a hold of her mom. The manager of the apartment complex they lived in unlocked the door, and they found Lori Jones' body shoved underneath the bed. She was naked except for a pillowcase over her head. Police arrived and quickly determined that it was a homicide, and that Lori had been raped and strangled to death. Reinhold says that she thought it was odd that whoever put her there had removed all of the bedding, but draped a quilt over the top of the mattress. Quote, but it wasn't a bloody scene, she says. She hadn't been shot or stabbed, though there was some blood by her ear. There was a small screwdriver, about four inches long, on the bedside table, and some small cuts on her hand seemed to be consistent with the screwdriver. Investigators found a fingerprint on the inside of the bedroom door, and it came back as belonging to Bray, who had been in the system on a 1979 shoplifting charge that happened in Pierce County. They found a cigarette in the toilet that had a brown filter, and brown filtered camels would later on be found in Cowboy Mike's truck. They also found a receipt in Lori's purse from the Bailey Lounge. The police interviewed the bartender, and he had said that he had seen them leave the bar together that night. Knowing that Cowboy Mike liked karaoke and playing his guitar at Western Bars, the police distributed flyers to bars in Thurston, Pierce, and South King County. However, while the search search for Cowboy Mike went on in country bars in Western Washington, he had already fled off to Yakima, the Palm Springs of Washington, with his off-again and on-again girlfriend, Marshall Morgan. 
They had met at the Red Barn in Grand Mound, Washington, which also doesn't exist anymore, but I used to drive past it a lot. (laughs) On July 13th, they were drinking at a bar called Susie's Saloon. Later that day, Marshall Morgan was was found on the side of the road, not dead, with a gunshot wound to her head. Sorry, I messed that up. So she had a gunshot wound, but she was still alive. She was taken to the hospital and said she knew who shot her, but fell into a coma before she was able to name him. Just hours after the shooting, Cowboy Mike would be back at Susie's saloon, drinking and introducing himself to Karen Peterson. He ended up going home with Karen that night, where Karen's 14-year-old daughter and her daughter's boyfriend were hanging out. They chatted for a while in the living room, and he asked if anyone had a guitar, because of course he did, he's Cowboy Mike, the douche who has to play his guitar for you, and got a snack from the fridge. Then he and Karen went into their bedroom together. Her daughter and her daughter's boyfriend reported hearing a thumping noises, but just assumed it was because Karen and Mike had been drunk. The next morning, Karen woke up without any pants on and with a baby blanket covering her head. The last thing she remembered was being struck in the head and feeling hands at her throat. At her, at her daughter's urging, she went to the hospital, and the doctors determined that she had been strangled. The next day, they saw Cowboy Mike's wanted picture in a newspaper. But unfortunately, Cowboy Mike was on the move yet again. He ended up in Glenoma, Washington, where he stopped at a garage sale and tried to donate some video equipment. None of it was ever tied to any of his victims, but it is still pretty weird. He played guitar for them for a bit and asked them where they liked to hang out. He left the garage sale with Brenda Keene and they went to the Roadhouse Tavern before spending the night together. Brenda was unharmed throughout the entire ordeal, but the next day she also ended up seeing his picture in the newspaper. She called the tip line and gave them a description of his truck and the uh, license plate number. A few days later, a delivery truck driver spotted Cowboy Mike's blue Nissan pickup at a truck stop near the Idaho-Oregon border. Police headed off after him, and a high-speed chase ensued. He shot at the cops, blew through a blockade that they had set up, and ended up jumping 40 feet down into the Snake River. Once in the river, he managed to evade the officers for almost an hour, and ended up floating and swimming about two and a half miles before his capture. They used a dog on him, and he attempted to hold it underwater to drown it, but the dog grabbed his clothing and they were able to get both the dog and Cowboy Mike onto a boat. According to Malher County Sheriff's Detective Rich Harriman, who was in the boat, he described Bray as exhausted by the end of the ordeal. He had been wearing a heavy leather jacket that was weighing him down the entire time he was in the water. Reportedly, the only thing he said was to holler, My name isn't Cowboy! In a letter to Seattle Weekly, he claimed that, I didn't try to drown the damn dog. Lying cops. I saved him. In Jalen, Idaho, he turned a chicken bone into a lockpick and used it to escape from his cell. He started beating up a guard, but the other inmates heard him and alerted the other guards as to what was happening, so his escape failed. Reinhold says she's not surprised the other prisoners turned on him. While interviewing his cellmates, she found that Bray's not well-liked. Quote, in Idaho, they talked about what a jerk he was, how arrogant he was, Reinhold says. For the people in jail not to like you, you must be really bad. (laughs) He also plotted an escape from a maximum security prison in Idaho, where guards found rope woven from a laundry bag and a crude pair of mittens, apparently to help him scale the razor wire surrounding the jail's perimeter. While at the Yakima County Jail, he attempted to escape through a heating duct, but it ended up opening to an interior brick wall instead of the outside of the building. Also in a Yakima jail, he removed the screen from his cell window and then used the screen to break the window. 
He was charged and convicted of second-degree malicious mischief and attempted second-degree escape. His defense was that he just wanted some fresh air, and he also laughed and giggled in court. The prosecutor argued that Mr. Bray knew exactly what he was doing, he knew the chaos it would cause, and he thought it was funny. In a hearing, he complained about not being allowed access to reading glasses, until it was revealed that he was filing down the lenses and sharpening them. He claimed that he was trying to alter how they looked because they were too girlish. In 2006, the Yakima trial against him ended in a mistrial because Marshelle Morgan was unable to testify due to her traumatic brain injury caused by the shooting. He was eventually sentenced to 47 years in prison for the murder and rape of Lori Jones in Thurston County after being found guilty on May 22, 2008. Some of the families of the victim sued the state corrections department for allowing such a dangerous person to be out on lenient parole in the 90s. Today, Cowboy Mike is held in an intensive management unit at the state prison in Shelton, and I really can't imagine a worse place to spend 47 years. So, Cowboy Mike, I hate you. I think I might hate you more than Gary Ridgway. I think your guitar playing was probably crappy, and you just seem like a douche. And they kept calling him a ladies' man and, like, attractive and stuff like that, but please go Google, I don't know, I almost said giggle, go Google a picture of Cowboy Mike. He looks like a human ferret. He's got a stupid mustache. It's not good. I'm just going off on a tangent now. But this guy is just absolutely ridiculous. And he tried to, when they were having his trial, he was like, oh, well, we shouldn't allow the uh, police chase footage to be loud because it was dramatic and lengthy. And it's like, sir, whose fault is that? Who decided to go on the police chase in the first place? It's like, it was you, dude. He just takes no accountability, no responsibility for any of his actions, and he's still an asshole to this very day. So, that's the tale of Cowboy Mike. I'm really excited to be done with it, because honestly, I hate this man so much. But thank you for listening to another episode of Olympia Oddities. If you want to support the podcast, leave me a positive review, tell your friends, or follow Olympia Oddities on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or all three if you want to. Um, until next time, friends. Bye!